This is three women and a bottle of wine. Three friends. Three former TV reporters. And one bottle of wine. Delving into whatever interests us. News, not news. What affects our lives? Because it's probably affecting yours too. Mm. I'm Kim Inslee. I'm Lynn Melling. And I'm Julie Barkey. And now on with the pod. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Three Women and a Bottle of Wine. I'm Kim. And I'm Lynn. And if you're like me and you love outdoor adventures, you are going to love today's guest. We're so excited. (laughs) Right, Lynn? And I'm Julie. And I, like Lynn, we're living vicariously through Natalie Warren, author, explorer. And I actually have a feeling that many others will be living vicariously through her by the end of this podcast. And we'll hopefully pick up her book as well. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Hello. It's great Hi. to have you with us. And you've got a book. It's, it's you know pretty much brand new. So a lot of people may not have had a chance to read it yet. It's going to be a great read for anybody's vacation. It's spring break. It's summer break coming up. So we'll, we'll take that cue as a cue to get out on the adventure in our minds anyway. So the book is called Hudson Bay Bound. And it's the story of this amazing av- adventure that you took paddling from Minnesota to the Hudson Bay with your friend Anne Raiho. Did I say that right? Raiho. And what blows me away is the two of you had just graduated from college, which as a parent, I would have freaked out if you were my child. <laughs> uh, and I would have suggested, and, and the question to you is, how, why didn't you do something like Italy or, you know, any number of a places, but that one? Yeah. So for us, this trip, paddling over 2000 miles from Minneapolis to Hudson Bay was not really a vacation to us. <laughs> it, it was uh, just something we felt compelled to do after reading Canoeing with the Cree by Eric Severide. My friend Anne grew up in Minnesota and she grew up reading that book and senior year in college rolled around and it was 2011. So we're still sort of recovering from the recession. A lot of people weren't getting jobs after school and we felt pretty defeated by the spring. And so she came into my room one day and just checked the book at me and said, read this, I think we should just do it. And after I read it, you know, cover to cover, I went to her and I said, absolutely, we should do this. Cause we had been going on long canoe trips and expeditions through Camp Minogen. And it just seemed like the perfect next thing for us to do after school. Wow. I just, so I'm geeking out because yeah, we read Canoeing with the Cree. Um, probably every year when we go up to the Boundary Waters. Um, and what I love so much about this is it's two women. So Canoeing with the Cree is two men. And, you know, they're wearing their wool pants and all the things. It was like 100 years ago. And there was no, like, Arctic polar, vor- you know, fleece gear. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's two guys. And so it's so – and I'm so fun to – I'm so excited to read this with my daughter, too. And here's two women doing this the same trip. Can you just talk about what a huge feat that is for for our gender in general? Yeah, you know, that's something that I've had a lot of time to reflect upon. And so the book came out a decade after we did the trip. And I really think I benefited from several years of reflection on that type of theme, especially because at the time we were in social circles with women who didn't shave and were comfortable swimming naked. And, you know, I just that was my world. That's all I really knew, which is a 
beautiful, wonderful thing. Um, and then I learned differently, you know, being thrown in other spaces. And so I think for us and, and for me now, looking back, we were surprised two women hadn't done it yet, but now I understand more of the barriers that women face, especially in the outdoor industry. Uh, you know, we're over-sexualized in the media. Um, we don't often have, we're not encouraged socially to do these types of different things that men might otherwise, uh, it might be more, more normalized culturally for them to do it. And so there were a lot of barriers that we faced that I didn't fully comprehend when I was 22. And I honestly am more impressed that we did this a decade later than I was when we did it uh, <laughs> at that ripe young age and, you know, gung ho and ready to go. And Natalie, talk about some of the barriers that existed 10 years ago. Where do you think we are as a gender now? Would it be as hard to find partners who would outfit an expedition like this, a, a fun ex exploration? You know, I think that there has been a lot of progress in the outdoor industry, but it is still a wildly homogenous white male industry. Uh, however, they are actively trying to support people who are, you know, people of color, uh, women especially. And so I think there are some changes, but it's a slow transition from an industry that historically predominantly comes from a, a white male culture. And if people could just see Lynn, I can see the ideas percolating over her head. Like, I could do this. I might find some sponsors. With your daughter. Well, oh, I'm, my gosh. I'm interested, Natalie, in, in the response that you got from your family and your friends. Was there support there? What were the concerns, if any? Um, I know when you're 21, 22, you think you're bulletproof. But those who are older than you know differently. Yes, absolutely. And now that I'm a mom, I feel those emotions a little bit. But my parents, I'm, so I'm the youngest of three children. And I, from a very early age, was doing large, dramatic, grand things and fighting with my parents a lot about whether or not I could do them. And so it's not like all of a sudden I wanted to do something crazy. I'd been doing small, crazy things building up to this thing. However, I remember my mom, so Minnesota culture is used to hearing about canoe expeditions. We're close to the boundary waters. I grew up in Miami, Florida in a very urban area. Oh, wow. I didn't grow up going camping. And so there was a big cultural difference in even perceiving an expedition of this type. And I remember I called my mom from Mankato and she was so confused how I could call her <laughs> on my you know, wilderness trip. So I think there was a lack of understanding of just like the geography and in, in general and what I was doing. And then, you know, my mom will tell you very candidly, she was a total mess. And when she saw we had a GPS with us of, and we'd send our GPS coordinates every night where we were camping. And when she saw that we got to Hudson Bay, she just bawled. And um, yeah, so it's not without risks <laughs> that you do these types of things. And while my parents and my family and my friends are very supportive, it's not always the easiest to watch someone that you love do something that is deemed a little bit dangerous. Yeah. I mean, talk about like the blisters. I, I, I mean, this is putting your body through, I mean, the mosquitoes. I'd love to know. So for people who haven't read the book, like when did you 
shove off? When did you arrive in Hudson Bay? Like how long was it? And what were some of yeah, set the scene? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and I would love to know some of like the horror stories that you encountered. Like what was the <laughs> worst thing that happened out there? Yeah. So this trip, I like to say is four trips combined into one. You are paddling upstream on the Minnesota river, then you're downstream on the red river, and then you're paddling Lake Winnipeg, which is the 11th largest lake in the world surface area wise. So very, very large lake, big waves, lots of wind. And then you're on a beautiful scenic, pristine, untouched whitewater river out into the Arctic where we were able to see a polar bear in the wild. So really? we transported ourselves from Minneapolis, you know, the, the metropolis, and we were able to use the waterways to get to this just beautiful countryside. And so the trip was, it had different challenges at different points. We paddled upstream during a flood. So we could only paddle 1.5 miles for 330 miles. Mm -hmm. And that was very, we could have walked the Minnesota River <laughs> faster than we paddled it. Um, and then the Red River, for, for us, what we didn't expect to get out of this trip, because we had done canoe expeditions before up in the Arctic, was the social environmental component, because we were paddling through the Corn Belt. We're seeing during a flood, the river go over fields of corn and learning about the nitrogen and the phosphorus and the chemicals we put on the farm fields that go into the river that flow downstream and impact other communities and industries. And then the ability, because the land was flooded, we actually had to knock on farmers' doors and ask if we could camp on their dry land. And that turned into us staying for dinner and having these really candid conversations about what it means to be a farmer in you know this point in time in terms of industrialization of food. Uh, why do we even grow corn? They get paid based on yields. So they're gonna grow up to the river and it's really hard for them to break out of that larger cycle that we've built. And so for me, this was a coming of age trip to, to better understand America, uh, to better understand this sort of cultural place and time. And we did, you know, paddling the Red River, passing all these farms, then we paddle over massive algal blooms that have destroyed the fishing industry on Lake Winnipeg because of the farms that we had paddled weeks earlier. And so there's something about the act of canoeing itself that actually allows you to move with the water and go slowly and observe and discuss and learn um, and process all of that information that completely changed my life. And that is such incredible self-awareness. And I actually wanna go back to something that you had mentioned at the beginning of the book, and I'm paraphrasing it, but Essentially, you saw a friend who had just been on a really big adventure, literally glowing, and it made you realize that you weren't glowing. Again, a lot of self-awareness, I think most of us um, can, can resonate, can, can understand and have felt this. How is it you were able to take that and, and transcend it into an actual actionable item, for lack of a better phrase? Yeah, it's it's tricky. I think, you know, we all have experiences of feeling stuck or being knowing that we were stuck later and not having recognized it at the time. And for me, I, I think I just reached a point where I felt like I was in a total fog. And when you see someone who is just glowing, juxtaposed to how you feel, it it sort of opens your eyes to, you know, what else could I be doing with my life? Because clearly whatever it is right now 
it's not working for me. And at the age, I could, you know, say that's teen angst, but I think that's a feeling that we will probably feel our entire lives in, in different ways. And the time in my life was a, a big component for being able to say, like, I'm going to go canoeing in Minnesota. You know, I was able to take those changes for my own life and able to decide that I'm going to live in a canoe for three months after college and things like that. But now I feel like the older I've gotten, the more responsibilities pile on and the risks are greater for doing something like that. And so I'm so thankful at the time that I was motivated and propelled to make a change in my life and I was able to do it. Whereas now I'm like, do I leave, would I leave my daughter for three months? Mm -hmm. Probably not, right? You, yeah. you have all these other things to consider. So right. what if she wants to leave you for three months and do something like this? Would you, would you support it? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I hope I would. She's actually only eight months. So I'd even imagine, imagining her talking is still, well, I, I can't even fathom. Thank you. You know, you mentioned uh, earlier that you saw a polar bear, and I hope it was a good distance away. Um, it was. But the trip didn't come without danger. I mean, at any point did the, in this trip, did you feel personally threatened? Did you feel that your life was in danger? Yes, at multiple different points. And in terms of wildlife encounters, we actually did have a fairly serious bear encounter, but it was a black bear, and so it's, you know, we didn't feel like we were going to die or anything, but it actually started pawing at our tent in the middle mm. of the night. And it was during a huge lightning storm. And so we ended up having to run into the woods to protect ourselves from the lightning, but we had just scared the bear into this dark wooded area that we were now going into. And so we had a lot of moments like that. But I think the most danger we felt sometimes was in more urban areas where you are just camping illegally and you're camping at a boat launch and uh, people are coming and going through the night. And so going into the outdoors, into the wilderness hasn't really been normalized in a way where a, a black bear might sound like a really scary thing to someone who is used to living in the city and driving around. But I think that the moments where we felt the most threatened were actually due to other people versus the the wildlife. The human animals that versus the others. Yeah. And we did have moments too on Lake Winnipeg. So if you've read Canoeing with the Cree, you know that Eric Severide and Walter Port didn't actually paddle all of Lake Winnipeg. The wind picks up, the waves pick up, and we had a really scary moment where uh, the, the lake is really shallow. And so when the waves pick up, they can actually drop you to the bottom of wow. the lake. And we were lifted up on a wave and these two huge boulders emerged beneath us on either side of the canoe. And our boat landed just perfectly right in between them. And that was a moment where we pulled over and just sat on shore to realize that if we had been a foot in either direction, that could have been a very dangerous situation for us. Wow. So I would love to know, so you, you've clearly learned so much from this experience. Um, how is it shaping your life now? So it was 10 years ago that you did the trip, you wrote the book. Um, what path has this set you on and what are your, your hopes and dreams going forward? This trip paddling to Hudson Bay absolutely changed my life and it became really the center of my career which is funny because when i did it i was like screw the man i'm not gonna get an internship after college i'm gonna live in a canoe and it's gonna be this huge hole in my resume is is what i thought and 
what I realized is that doing something so drastically different and something that taught me so much and equipped me with different communication skills and things like that really was the foundation of my career. And so after that trip, I actually came back to Minnesota. I was guiding canoe trips on the Minnesota River, doing watershed education. I started working on the St. Croix River, doing land protection and environmental policy work. Um, all this time writing for Canoe and Kayak magazine. I do consulting for paddle sports tourism with communities along rivers. And now I'm in a PhD program doing environmental communication and writing about rivers. And in wow. that time, I've also paddled the length of the Mississippi River and the Yukon. So like different expeditions here and there. So everything I do, the, the river is really central. That's beautiful. I'm so impressed. What do you want women to know what can they take with them, especially if they're not outdoorsy? You know, your story is one of really determination and grit. So how can people take what you've learned and really apply it to their own lives? What would you suggest? There was a huge physical component to this trip, but I think for me, actually paddling with the water and observing the land and talking to the people really built a connection for me and not only you know the environment which we often view as something other when we're really totally enmeshed in it but uh, just a curiosity of the things that were around me and wanting to learn more about them and that's how i feel when i walk around my neighborhood in minneapolis you know you see something that's a little bit different you notice a bird that you haven't seen in the neighborhood before and so i think that trip equip me with the skills to have curiosity about space and place. And I think that's tied inextricably to community and, you know, mental health and public health, right? And like all of these things that trickle from there. And so I think being able to get outside of the four walls and observe the world around us is, you know, the number one thing that I would recommend, which might sound sort of cheesy coming from, you know, like a hardcore expedition, but that's been my biggest takeaway. One of the, you mentioned communication skills and things like that. I mean, it's hard to be with, with one person in that kind of a situation for three months. So um, how did your relationship survive that as friends? That's a great question. It did survive, but not without its trials. We, Anne and I are very different people. I am more into feelings and conversations. And Anne is a scientist and she's a math major and she's very analytical. And we balanced each other in this really, really beautiful way when we were jiving. But sometimes that, you know, you find that balance and if it goes too far one way or the sure. other, things start to get a little tricky. And what ended up happening was that Anne would get really nervous about something and I would relax to try to make her feel less nervous, but that would make her feel more nervous. And then we'd spiral. <laughs> and so we got into one very, very large fight in the middle of Lake Winnipeg where all of this had culminated, but we hadn't quite expressed it yet. And you can't do an 85 day trip. You can't live with someone without expressing those frustrations. And that's something I never was equipped to do in a friendship. I was told I needed to do that in a romantic relationship, but I was never ready to put that much effort into like hanging out with your friend in a canoe, but we absolutely had to. We were doing a night paddle on Lake Winnipeg and 
the lake was totally flat. The stars and the Milky Way were out and they were reflecting on the lake. Oh. And it felt like we were paddling through space and the Northern Lights come out oh, and wow. they start uh -oh. dancing. But at this point, Anne was worried I was paddling too far away from shore and I thought I had fixed it, but I didn't. And so we spent the whole night just yelling at each other <laughs> in this, you know, the most beautiful scenery I've ever been in. And then we communicated through handwritten notes for a day or two. And then we fixed things through after that. Um, but we we did have a, a massive blow up in the middle of the trip. <laughs> did it help prepare you for marriage? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And we picked up a dog near the end of our trip. And so that was sort of the like, oh, look, she's so cute. Oh, you know, it's like your baby. Not exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You like have this other thing to talk about all of a sudden. Well, what yeah. was the most beautiful part of the trip? I mean, had there not been the argument, that might have been it. But was what were the moments where you just went, I'm the luckiest woman in the world because nobody gets to see stuff like this? Yeah, each section was different. And even on the Minnesota River, when the sun shone through the cottonwood trees on the side and just the birds were chirping, that itself was magnificent. The So on Lake Winnipeg, you could watch the sun sink into itself every night because there was nothing but horizon line for so much of that paddle. But really getting to the Hayes River and actually experiencing a river where you could drink water straight from the river without having to filter, which is something that I don't know my daughter will be able to do. And to be able to be in a place where just there's always the sound of rushing water. You can smell this sort of wet dirt moss and you just hear nature sounds and nothing else. And just to be that far away from other people and those things that go along with it, I think was was really, really special. Oh, it would be so much fun to do one of these podcasts with you on the river. Kim, it doesn't have to be a 200-mile paddle. We can maybe just do something on the sink. We, we could bring wine. <laughs> yeah. I have four canoes. We only need two. <laughs> I'm in. Right. Well, it is time to take a quick break, maybe have a glass of wine, thank our sponsors. We'll be back in a moment with the final flight. Three Women and a Bottle of Wine is supported by 515 Productions. 515 Productions is a video production business with base camps in Minneapolis and Des Moines, Iowa. Ian and his crew understand the art of creative storytelling, and they know how to make video look fantastic. Learn more at 515productions.com. Our logo was created by Aaliyah DeSalt, a creativity guru offering art workshops to everyone from business executives to book clubs because we all have untapped creative potential just waiting to be unleashed. You can find her contact information on our website. You can stay up to date on our podcast by checking out our website, threewomenandabottleofwine.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find behind-the-scenes photos and, of course, much, much more. Be sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back with Natalie Warren and it's time for our final flight and it's a chance to get to know our guests. It's a little bit better through some random questions that we like <laughs> to throw at them. So Natalie, you mentioned you are from Florida and Minnesota is your home now, right? Yes. This will be a hard one for you. In which state <laughs> would you rather live? What feels like home to you? Minnesota. 
definitely hands down. <laughs> I love the winter. I didn't see snow till I was 17. So it's still a beautiful thing whenever it snows and cross country skiing and broom ball and being able to walk down the block and go to an ice rink. I wouldn't choose to live anywhere else in the winter, especially none of this like half winter, 45 degree situation where you don't get those full perks of being surrounded in snow. Sounds like you were like from the wrong place. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a true Minnesotan talking. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I felt like I had found my home when I came up here. Hmm. Okay, so favorite activity besides canoeing? I am a saxophone player. Really? And so I still actively play saxophone. I married a drummer, musician, producer, and we play music together and still keeping it up. I actually just got to play with the Okie Dokie Brothers. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yes. <laughs> we have kids. Of course we do. <laughs> yes. So I, yeah, I just did a song with them where I sing and play saxophone. So I, I really like to play music whenever I can. Oh, how fun. So what's your next big adventure? My next big adventure is raising a child <laughs> and <laughs> Uh, I'm, I've really started to come into this identity as an author and I didn't know I was going to write a book when I did this trip and it took me a couple years to figure out I even wanted to document it in a more concrete way. And I'm in my PhD program. I'm still studying a lot of like communication around rivers and I am really focused on trying to write another book. And it's something that is difficult for me to wrap my head around because I always thought like authors are people who write books and they're like somehow born authors and <laughs> that's what they do. And I am not someone who ever even thought that that's something I would do, but I really enjoyed the process of writing the book. And I'm interested to see if I can get a little bit deeper and a little bit more visceral with my writing uh, in other more in environmental themes. So yeah, that's, that's my next big adventure sitting at my computer. I can only imagine your daughter when she really understands and appreciates all that her mother did. I mean, you know, for the first 25 years of her life, she's just going to think you're, you know, it's super deal, but yeah. she yeah. will appreciate it. <laughs> what a gift to her. I, I hope so. Yeah. I, it's strange for me to process how to be a mom because for me i became this environmental outdoorsy person but i hadn't been exposed to it for my childhood and so that's the path that i'm familiar with and so now i'm like if i force her to go canoeing with me will she hate it i don't know she might she'll yeah. say she does but she'll secretly love it okay Just, that's what i did when i was a kid <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Well, promise us that when you write that second book that you'll come back on with us, please. Yes, absolutely. We fully expect to still be doing this, like, what, 10, 20 more years, ladies? I think sure, we've got yeah, it why in not? Right. Natalie Warren, thank you so, so much, everybody. Hudson Bay Bound, it's the book. It's fantastic. Get it. Read it. Help support our local authors, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Natalie, yeah. thank you. It has been a pleasure. It's been wonderful. Yeah, Cheers. Thank you so much. Cheers. 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 Clink. <laughs>